from The Solo Project, this is Never 9 to 5, a podcast about the soloists who are redesigning their lives around the pursuit of interesting work. For YouTube, I personally enjoy long form. I don't know if it's good or bad for the algorithm or making money. I'm over the threshold for worrying about all those things, so I'm just trying to create the best thing that I want to create. So that's why I'm not in the TikTok space or short video form. I really value authenticity, and as much as I can, I'm obviously creating the picturesque hike. Here on Never 9 to 5, we're interested in the ways soloists unchain themselves from the corporate desk job to carve out a living doing what they truly love. Through that lens, Craig Adams is the quintessential soloist. At age 30, he's built an enviable solo career hiking around the world. He's trekked the Carpathian Mountains across Central Europe, the Enchantments in Washington, the Laguna Mountains in Peru. He's hiked in Alaska, Iceland, and Patagonia. If it's a breathtaking trail, chances are he's hiked it, and he's filmed all of it. Adam's YouTube videos have attracted nearly 650,000 subscribers. But what's unusual is that he's built this enormous audience without any of the gimmicky editing or shock content that tends to draw eyeballs on social media. In a world of TikTok and fractured attention spans, Adams has taken the path less traveled. His videos sometimes run over an hour. They tend to feature little to no dialogue. It's just him hiking, taking in stunning scenery, accompanied by meditative music, and it's spellbinding. Adam's minimalist style is part of a broader philosophy about living with less stuff. For him, it's all about simplicity and authenticity. He's wholly uninterested in making videos to grow an audience. He simply aspires to create the kind of content that he'd want to watch. The audience just seems to follow naturally. In this episode, we catch up with Adams in his minimalist space on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. He tells us how he went from making wedding videos to forging an entirely new travel genre on YouTube. Grab your hiking boots and prepare to be inspired. My first question for you is, have you ever had a traditional nine to five job? Yeah, I've never actually had a nine to five. I got pretty close once (laughs) and I did an internship at MTV. I think that was the most corporate structure I'd ever faced. Uh, I ended up not liking that. I don't know if that was because of the internship vibe or just the Viacom office thing, but yeah, I've been shooting video, making video from that, and eventually social media, YouTube, my whole life. So what came first? I'm so curious about, um, you know, you're a minimalist and a hiker, you know, and those are wonderful things. But of course, the, those things alone won't earn an income. Part of what we're trying to do on this podcast, I think, is lift the veil a little bit on how people who are soloing successful do it. So how do you earn an income? I've got two questions. So how do you earn an income? And what came first for you? Are you primarily wanted to be a filmmaker and then you realized that you could converge filmmaking and hiking? Yeah. Monetizing people's interest has been, I guess, the thing that I've done. It all started in college with shooting videos so I could make videos that wedding couples wanted. And I started a YouTube channel teaching people how to do that. Every time I've been successful doing something I use the internet to make videos and blog articles, teaching other people how to do the same thing. And I guess I've jumped from audience to audience. So it started off with weddings, made some money with that, and then it transitioned once I moved to New York City into how to live in the city and be a filmmaker and eventually hiking. So it's all been the same thing with different audiences, I guess. But yeah, never had a job. 
um, just getting people's attention and then learning different ways, lots of different little ways to monetize that attention. Are you self-taught filmmaker or did you study that in college? Yeah, I went to Buffalo State College and did four years for a bachelor's in television and film arts. And we did some writing and shooting and directing, working with the theater students. It was nice to make friends and be alongside other filmmakers who were passionate. But most of what I've learned technically was definitely on my own. And that just comes from the way that I learn. I need to get my hands on and I'm not more of a lecture or notes person. I need to like just do it and figure it out myself. Uh, but yeah, I guess film school, but it was only four years and it was a state school. So it wasn't that intense. So you're learning as, as you go. Yeah, I would say YouTube and just networking with other people taught me the most out of everything. And when you're starting out, were there certain YouTubers that you found inspirational? Yeah, I remember distinctly looking at big YouTubers and just thinking like it would be crazy. Like I'll never be like that, but it's really fun to make videos and share and get comments and like interact. But yeah, there were some film like Film Riot. Ryan Connolly was like a big YouTuber for filmmakers back in the day. And I've been fortunate enough to like meet him and chat with him. Um, so that came full circle. And there were a couple other local Buffalo like film people that I looked up to. Yeah, YouTube was was a lot different back then. And it was ex exciting to like chat with them. Yeah, the, the tutorial genre is interesting. I mean, everything that I do, I, I love YouTube for tutorials. You can learn anything. I've replaced the carburetor on my weed whacker, installed a sink, done plumbing, all through YouTube. Did you intentionally start out making the tutorials because you that's sort of the bread and butter of YouTube or that's a really popular kind of genre? Yeah, I'd say it's high value content. So if you make it, it's much easier to get people's attention when you're directly helping them. You're providing very apparent value because Google search is a, you know, a good way to get those people inbound. Um, people who need to figure out the best lens for this sunset shot can literally type that, find you on YouTube, and then you can deliver that right back to them. A lot of times that's how I was searching and learning, like you said. And if I watched a tutorial and I thought it was just too slow or wasn't fun enough or just you could do the same thing in half the time, I would make that video. <laughs> it was really fun like trying to one-up all of the tutorials that I found within my genre and I think that is an interesting way for people to start out because they learn like, yeah, there's not just one way to do it. Like you could put your own spin on it or just simply do it faster. Like just any tutorial, make your own version faster and more efficient and it'll probably do well. Yeah. The long lead ins are, are torture. You know, when you're just wanting to do something or <laughs> learn something, you're like, skip to, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Now, are you still doing the tutorial? Have you really moved on to hiking and, you know, other types of content? Yeah, I would say I've moved away from high value. And uh, in some sense, I am providing a how-to review tutorial for the hikes and the trips that I go to. So helping people go on the same trip, helping them have the confidence to do the same thing. Uh, as far as filmmaking and how to be a YouTuber, I've definitely moved away from the how-to and workshop aspect of that. I'm getting enough inbound attention and monetizing what I do have more than enough. So I don't need to 
make content with the expectation of getting more value. On the other side, uh, what I'm doing more of is just documentation. So living my life, documenting in an authentic way what I'm up to and just sharing what I want. <laughs> it's just more documentation rather than tutorial. Yeah, I mean, your 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 videos, your hiking videos are beautiful, by the way. Um, Thank you. And there's so much of it that seems aspirational and ideal. I was wondering if you had a philosophy going into those videos. What are you trying to convey as an artist and a filmmaker? Yeah, so many different ways to approach it. I'm seeing the similarities with this as well. I, I was watching a couple hiking videos and nature videos about trying to figure out where to go because I, I used to be a much worse traveler. Like I've gotten so much better at traveling and hiking in general, but I would watch their videos and it'd just be too much talking. So I wanted to do what I saw my own way better. And I thought just my own version of that would just be no talking. Uh, let the nature show, don't tell. I guess that comes from my filmmaking background, always trying to show and not tell. But there are so many different ways. Like, yeah, I could, maybe in the future, I'll probably move towards just documenting the hikes. And there's nothing that says I have to like help people go do the same hike. Like you don't have to do tutorial. You don't have to do review, but instead of just showing the hike that I go on from my own viewpoint, at the end, I like to do guides and show the maps and give advice for gear uh, because all of that is high value. People want to see that. It helps them directly. Instead of just escape and entertainment, it's actually providing some kind of useful advice. Yeah, I noticed a lot of similarities. You know, Pat and I come from the old world of magazine making. And, you know, a big part of that art is really knowing your reader. You're creating aspirational content to a certain degree. You know, let's say it's a, this old house magazine. You want to show the types of homes that people want to occupy. You want to give them service, how to fix and repair things. And your content seems to be a video version of that. When you watch a video, you want to be there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Pat and I talked a little bit about that. And he said, well, when I, you know, it makes me want to travel which I think is a, is a sign of a you know, successful content. One of the things I think is interesting about your approach is like, you know, in a, in a TikTok universe, your videos are running like 20 minutes long, which I think is really interesting. One, is that intentional? And two, are people watching to completion? Does that matter to you? Yeah, there's obviously a drop off. But for YouTube, I personally enjoy long form. It's I don't know if it's good or bad for the algorithm or making money. I'm I'm over the threshold for worrying about all those things. So I'm just trying to create the best thing that I want to create. Uh, and I don't consume short form, so I don't feel comfortable making sh short form. So that's why I'm not in the TikTok space or short video form. I, I really value authenticity. And as much as I can, it's impossible to make it like a full analog there's some sampling as, as the experience goes, like just editing and choosing what photos to shoot and choosing what angles and the pace. I'm obviously creating like uh, the picturesque hike. There are some things that I'm not sharing. And as much as I can, I show the hardship because I feel like that's equally as interesting as like the beautiful shots, like showing me in the rain or being hungry or getting lost. But there are no rules. <laughs> And at this point, it's just a lot of work to go on these trips. And I enjoy the hiking and the travel aspect. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm trying to be efficient with where I go and how long I'm out there. 
with the intention of making a video just because it is the full-time income. Like I, I could be living out of a backpack, which I tried at one point and just be traveling and creating videos nonstop. But I like the life balance of being here in New York City and not having to work <laughs> or share anything online that I don't want to. I don't know. I'm just going off on a tangent there. <laughs> no, it's not a tangent at all. I mean, I think that's the lifestyle aspect of it is is important. I think probably a lot of people choose the solo path because they want to be in control of their lifestyle and it's a balance. How do you schedule your trips? Are you looking at a year-long calendar? Is it a are you looking at months out or there is a subconscious organization to it. I have a list of probably 200 trails or places I would like to see different, you know, urgency, I guess. For my videos, I like them to be diverse. So if I go to a hot place, I'd like to go to a cold place. Or if I go to a jungle, I'd like to go to a tundra. I don't know. Just because I think it's more fun to diversify in that way. Um, and then th I'm just learning that there are seasons. There's certain places where you should hike for a certain period. So, you know, Iceland is a very narrow June, July, August. Uh, so uh, I tend to go to Peru like the same time every year. Um, I think I'll be going there for the fifth time next year. And as far as the content schedule, it just keeps being quality over quantity and uploading less frequently. It's a bit different when you have to go on a, like a week-long trip uh, to shoot a video because it's draining. Um, like As I get older, it's just so much more to get on an international flight. When I was younger, I would, like I'm 30 now, which I, you know, it's going on a flight to Hong Kong would just be a nightmare when I've got like such a nice home <laughs> and a puppy to take care of. Like, I just want to be here and then go on a trip, work, and then come back. <laughs> yeah, travel while you're young, you know? Yeah. Um, how did COVID impact your filmmaking? COVID hit me at an interesting time because I was making more money and getting more attention than ever before. And I just come off of a run of trips and videos that did exceptionally well. Uh, the Alaska video was like a COVID frustration. I'd been cooped up in my apartment and I got this rare opportunity to escape through Canada on like a two-seater airplane. So I went up to Alaska, shot a video that did really well and then kind of just uploaded every so often. Uh, there were long gaps, much longer than I was used to during COVID. It was just harder to travel. And once I kind of figured it out and got vaccinated and was able to do the extra work to go do these trips, I found no one out there. No one else was traveling. Everything was cheap. So things were pretty easy. Um, I've gotten used to the, the, more, the changing rules, the tests, everything. So once it starts to lift up, hopefully if it does, it's going to be really easy, so much easier to travel. Like looking back when you could just hop on a plane and go somewhere. Um, yeah, took it for granted. We'll be right back. You're a global traveler, so that must be a really interesting perspective on the pandemic, a pandemic that has literally invaded every you know inch of space in, in the globe. What's that like? Is it different? You know, you see masks everywhere you go. What's yeah, different rules everywhere. And the face shields in Peru were interesting in Colombia. Um, different places opening then closing within a week. Like I had a trip to Iceland and then they went back to requiring tests. So 
everything changes. You always have to uh, double check and, you know, it's made me a better traveler, like learning how to go to a Colombian general hospital in a city you've never been to get a test when you don't speak Spanish is like double diamond when it comes to traveling. But, you know, I made it work. I think everything's fine. How much time do you spend actually filmmaking? When I have sponsors, there's a bit more back and forth. But if it's just purely up to me, whether I edit, upload, and when, um, I can usually have like a 24-hour turnaround. It's not that intense. It's when I shoot the guides that it's more intense because I have to like create the film, create an outline for the guide, shoot the guide, edit it, and then go back and make changes. But I've I've been doing it for over a decade, so it's kind of muscle memory at this point. Are your sponsorships coming to you or are you seeking them out? At this point, I'm just letting everything be inbound. I'm not reaching out to anyone. I've got more than enough that I'm turning away and saying no uh, so that the price goes up and... I don't even have to do the ones that I do. So learning how to say no is uh, useful. Mm -hmm. Any tips there? I think saying yes to everything makes you jaded (laughs) and makes you, you know, gives you the skin that you need to start saying no. So it's just a process everyone has to go through. Like I remember moving to New York City, just being a fresh college filmmaker. I needed money and, and experience. So I said yes to every Craigslist job or any email from someone wanting an extra hand on a film set. Travel a lot when you're young and say yes to every project you can when you're young, even if Mm -hmm. it's weird, you know, like, uh, I think I did like film loading at one point. Like I'm grateful. I actually got to touch 35 millimeter film and like put that into a dark bag on a set. I don't know. It's just lots of different little things like that. So what would you say is your greatest challenge as a soloist independent? It definitely is in the social aspect. I don't really have coworkers and a lot of times I am by myself. Um, I do think I am an introvert and I gain energy by being alone and I like to learn on my own. But if I had to compare myself to other people, I definitely don't have as many work engagement, like fun, like bar trips. And I don't go to many weddings. I don't get invited to many weddings because I guess that's like a a sign. And definitely COVID has changed things. uh, So I'm definitely reaching out to people to try to get more like meetups and whatnot. Uh, And definitely when I was younger, I was trying to be friends and collaborate with other creators just because we were doing the same thing. And as as a minimalist, I've definitely tried to manage everything on my own and have total creative freedom, but at the expense of working with others and having good feedback from people who do care about me. Um, Just having feedback from an audience of a half a million people is not as valuable as like one or two trusted lieutenants who really have your your back. So you're sort of an inadvertent social minimalist. <laughs> yeah, I think I I, I swung uh, swung on that side a little bit too much, like getting rid of people and cutting out relationships in my life. Yeah, what inspired the minimalism? It was weird. I made videos about it, doing all the things uh, back then, and then I recently made a minimalism video retrospective where I like watched those videos and thought about what it actually meant. And I think it came down to control. Uh, there were a couple different aspects of my life that I felt out of control. I didn't feel like I was making the videos or the content. I didn't know what what my job was. I wasn't making enough. I just didn't have freedom. So. It helped me gain back freedom to literally pick up and move and go somewhere if I needed to. Gave me freedom to save money and understand and control my spending. It gave me freedom to start to think about, you know, what I actually wanted to do and have the courage to say no to projects and 
save time and energy uh, to focus on good things and not waste my time with distractions, whether it's a project, a person, or a literal object taking up my attention. So it's not just about physical minimalism. No, it starts there and then it, it spreads to other aspects once you start to see the value. Mm-hmm. It helps. It's it testing. Minimalism for me is all about testing. It's just not taking anything for granted. It's doing little experiments, seeing how much value something brings you, uh, what it feels like with it, what it feels like without it, and then uh, having the choice to uh, change, not just taking anything for granted. Yeah, New York City can uh, facilitate a minimalist lifestyle because the, there's only so many things you can put into a small space. Yeah. Yeah, and I pushed the limit of that with living out of a single backpack for a couple months. That was interesting. So when you when you pack for these trips, are you down? Do you have like two bags, one bag full of gear, one bag for your just yourself, or what's what's that look like for you? I'm fancy now. I check a bag when I fly. I've got my hiking backpack, which is full. I've got my like laptop electronics bag, which is just small. And then I've got my uh, duffel bag, which I check with clothes and any extra hiking stuff. For filmmaking, I got it down to a single bag at one point. But with the hiking gear, yeah, I need a duffel. If you go on, let's say, a 60-mile hike, how much of that is spent you know, filming, setting up a shot? 60-mile would be an impossible two days. It would be a rough, it would be a tough three-day, uh, but I could do it. It would be, I'd probably do it in three days, yeah, 20 miles a day. Um, so that's might be six sunrises, six sunsets. Yeah, um, it, it's different. But I think the number that I broke down for editing is eight to 10 minutes per day if I stretch it out. But there's tight editing and then there's loose editing. With this Dolomites Italy video that I uploaded, it was the first time that I've tested just letting the shots roll, not cutting to the music and just being ruthless. <laughs> I kept making jokes to my girlfriend. I'm like, I dare someone to watch this. I'm going to make it kind of boring. <laughs> and uh, it definitely shifted towards more like the relaxation and, and less the every shot. Because there, there's like a feeling like I'll, I'll watch my videos and there will just be a feeling that, oh, that's too long. Like I want the next clip to come. And so I, I did the opposite. I just let clips roll. So I think I had like 12 minutes per day. So that's why with the guide, this Italy video that I uploaded a couple of weeks ago was like an hour and a half long, which is insane to me. It's like a feature film. <laughs> Although I guess that is relaxation content is a genre now. I know some teens who are really into it, like the, the audio stuff and the, and the visual. Which yeah, it's, it's different to what people are used to with short form TikTok and Instagram these days, right? Mm-hmm. Are there other YouTubers in the long form space that you look to or are inspired by? I'm sure there are others in the space, but I don't watch hiking stuff. I, I've been friendly and, and met a couple uh, people who do videos in the hiking space, but I don't know too many who do silent long form. Um, I don't know their names, but I, I know that they exist. Yeah, that's so interesting. You don't watch other hiking videos? Do you watch uh, the documentaries or? I I think my YouTube subscriptions are public on my channel, so people can see them. And it's like comedy and some weird, like random stuff. People that I've been subscribed to for years, you know, uh, podcasts and whatnot. But no, I don't. I don't really watch nature hiking stuff. I don't really find it that interesting. <laughs> I want to go do like it's with sports. Like I can't watch sports. I'd rather go play soccer, play football. I can't really watch it. So 
Yeah. I, well, I asked that because you had mentioned when you were making the tutorial videos that you had sort of surveyed the competition or what was out there so that you could deliver content that was was somehow better or offered, a, you know, more service, more, more value. So it's mm -hmm. interesting yeah. that for the, the hiking genre, you're you're not looking at other things. Is that is that intentional or is it just you have a image in your head of what you want to create doesn't matter what other people are doing. Um, yeah. The less other people influence what I create, the better. And a lot of that can come from within your channel. So the DMS, the messages from people who watch the actual subscribers can try to influence how you create things. And yeah, it it's, sounds harsh, but I honestly don't care <laughs> like about any feedback from even from my audience of people who've been watching me for years. Uh, I've tested turning off email. So scrubbing my entire email from the internet. I've tested deleting Instagram, turning off DMs. It, it's strange. It, it's not like feedback isn't necessary. And sometimes it can be a distraction. So feedback content in the form of comments or just anything, DMs, email. I, I think in a perfect world, I would just create what I want to create and anyone who wants to watch does. And I don't need any feedback. <laughs> Because the good feedback is only giving fuel to the bad feedback. Like, you know, the stuff that we don't like to see only hurts because we've built our own version, our vision of ourself, our ego up from the good stuff. So you know, it's, it's all kind of a distraction at this point. Do you have a sense of like what an ideal day would be for you? What would that look like? Yeah. Um, dogs, coffee, interesting food and nature and walking. Uh, yeah. Dogs, books walking, food, trees, less people. I try to go places where there are not as many people, which is interesting that I'm in New York. But sometimes there are so many people and so much going on in New York that you do feel alone. So I like sitting in cafes and parks, surrounded by people, but alone is an interesting feeling. Yeah, I think that's quintessential. New York is anonymity. You can mm -hmm. be anywhere and you have ultimate privacy because people are just too busy to care really uh i mean they care but they're on their way to do something else which is a lovely lovely feeling we'll be right back what would you say are the three or four most valuable tools that you can't live without as a soloist yeah the phone has definitely become essential, even for hikes. I've had this discussion with other hikers on trail and online about paper maps and all of that, but I've never used paper. Like I haven't owned paper in years. Um, so the phone is necessary for work. And I've even tested the idea of like shooting everything on an iPhone and editing everything on an iPhone. Um, but at this point, the quality is not there and it's actually more work, less value. So, and then other stuff, uh, I don't own anything. I don't own memories. I don't own physical memorabilia. Clothing, it's been the same for a couple of years now. Yeah, I have no sentimental physical objects. It's all utility at this point. For the for the useful objects, are there things that stand out for you? Well, my ob uh, my camera makes me money and it's just an extension of my body at this point. I've been shooting on Sony for a while, so that's been great. Um but as far as useful, yeah, obviously the camera. Um, 
I go through shoes because I walk and hike so much, like every two or three months. <laughs> it's funny. I, I put all my gear on my website, um, know, but even yeah. that is so unnecessary. Like I don't even have to do that. It's just earning me a bit of money every month just from people clicking on links and people find it helpful to get recommendations, but that'll probably go away. I've tested having that up and down and it's just not necessary. I like the books. Keep the books. Yeah. It's nice. It's to interesting. See. It's nice to share the, uh, the sort of like intellectual concepts and ideas. I think that's valuable. Yeah, it's the, the Craig Adams bootstrap uh, starter pack. If you just follow all of those books, you can kind of have the same ideas as I do. It's like, it's funny. Where do you go from here? Do you have a sense of where you want to go as a filmmaker? Are you going to continue with the travel videos? Are you planning some different projects? Yeah, quality over quantity. Um, I've been I've uploaded two family home vlogs, which is a return to that form, but in a new way. Uh, it's interesting. People are like, this is like the hiking video, but with home life. Um, so doing more of that and just starting a family and probably maybe moving from New York at some point, you know, just normal adult stuff. Uh, going on trips is still fun. Going yeah. on group hiking trips is new. I, I just launched the second one for Iceland today. People are signing up as I, I look at the page right now. The first one's Patagonia. The second one's Iceland. The third one, which hasn't even been announced yet, is going to be Switzerland. And that'll be a trail running, so 120 miles in like a couple of days. So that's a departure from the solo adventures and something people have been asking for. So we'll see how that goes. I think three is like a good number. I don't want to commit myself to something that I don't know if I like too much. What's your opinion on YouTube in general? Do you think YouTube's ripping off creators? Does the model need to shift? YouTube is totally cool. I guess they could give more money and they could take away. Uh, they'll probably, I think, I used to be so into like tech and news, but I've cut all news articles, just everything out of my entire feed. Like I don't consume any news, like business news. No, um, I, I think it's a good time to be a YouTuber. It's a good time. Mm -hmm. There's still lots of, lots of hungry people uh, for content. So yeah. yeah, it's a good time. Yeah, I, I can't recommend enough the culling of the news feeds. Do you prune them or do you cut them out altogether? Do you have sources of information that you go to? Just like in the, the minimalist sphere, how are you getting yeah. your information? I'll listen to audiobooks when I walk sometimes. I'll listen to podcasts when I want shorter, more conversational books. I will <laughs> I'll consume movies with the girlfriend, TV shows, but I'm not consuming anything on Instagram. I'll watch YouTube videos every so often from subscriptions, but news, no. No apps, no notifications, even email. I've kind of trimmed down to just the basics, like no newsletters. And it's been like this for so long that it feels normal. You know, circling back to where we sort of started with, you know, how you earn a living producing the content that you do. Do you find, you know, New York City's expensive place to live are you struggling to pay your rent are you balanced are you in a good place um how's that working for you uh i definitely get more out of new york than i would somewhere else i don't have to have a car uh, i can walk to do pretty much everything i've got three airports um, so there are some pros to being here but it's definitely for someone i think you have to like work in new york to make it worth it and I think if you want to have that crazy social life of like always going out and meeting people and going to bars and stuff, like it's good. 
Uh, it's good for dating. It's good for all of that. But I'm definitely to the point where more negatives than positives from New York. So it might be time to move out. But yeah, money's been like better than ever, even with uploading like fewer. Uh, just everything's great. Like I'm saving like I've never saved before. And I, I could stop doing sponsorships. I've so got enough runway. I, I'm doing what I want. I My biggest problem is I have too much free time. I need to just like figure out what to do with it. Like every day I can wear what I want, wake up, go to sleep, go anywhere. But I am hanging out with my puppy and going to the park three times a day. <laughs> That's what I choose to do with my time. So I'm in a point where I'm trying to give my attention and love and care to other people. And yeah, the money's good. So Do you have to spend much time on marketing and promoting your content? No, most everything I do is just organic through my own newsletter, like my email lists, my email list on YouTube, my email list on Instagram. It's basically all the same thing with different flavors. Those audiences are, there's some overlap, but you know, they're both strong. And so you, you going have- on other people's podcasts, I guess, is the only form of marketing that I do. Like, I don't have to do this, but it's kind of, it's fun for me to like be able to think and talk things through, especially when you have nice, elegant questions. So thank you. Yeah, I don't I don't really do too much marketing, to be honest. You said you have an email though, a uh, email newsletter that you send out? No, it's just what I call social media. Social media is just okay. the news, basically. Okay. I, I don't consume email newsletters, so I don't use that. But I know it makes money, and I know it used to be way more effective than it was now, and I'm sure it's still effective. Um, but yeah, it's it's hard for me to do what I don't understand. So that's why I'm just on YouTube and Instagram. Yeah, I love that philosophy of pursuing what you enjoy. I feel the same. And it's confusing sometimes because you hear conflicting things about it's all about email now, the email newsletter. It's not about email. It's all about this. It's all about that. And before you know it, your content is just, it gets frayed. So I appreciate that philosophy of creating the content that you like. Yeah, I think there's value in creating scarcity and only doing what you're passionate about. So if you can get more views and make some money uh, by having a Facebook, I think it would stretch you thin. And if your heart's not in it and you're not posting with an authentic voice and, and catering to the uniqueness of the platform, people sense that. And when you don't like upload to your fullest ability to everything that you make available, it creates confusion. So people don't know if they should tune into Facebook or Instagram or YouTube when you do have a new post. I don't know. It's just sometimes scarcity is good and like being a little bit mysterious. It's a healthy balance for sure. I don't want to take up too much of your your time. It's really been a pleasure chatting with you, by the way. You're so self-aware. It's wonderful to see. What advice would you give to conflict who's inspired to follow in your footsteps? Life goes in different eras. Like I've mentioned previously, the beginning, you should just give, give, give and not expect much back. Uh, and that's totally fine because you're just still trying to figure out what you like. A lot of people do degrees and narrow themselves into something specific. A lot of people start a YouTube channel or social media just doing one thing. Um, I don't know, just experiment. Like if I stuck with weddings and went 100% into that and hired a team and started not going to the weddings, but just like managing crews, I probably would have been making a lot of money, but I probably would not have had the the freedom that I value right now. So uh, figuring out this balance between freedom and money, is really important. And yeah, just read all the books on my my website and 
maybe you'll have the same aha moments that I had along, you know, the 19, 20, 25, 30. Like I can tell someone young, like my niece or nephew, all the things that I wish I knew, but until they experience it for themselves, like it's just, they're not going to understand it. It's like another language. So yeah, have fun. <laughs> when I first saw Adam's videos, I was taken by their simplicity. They're not at all what you'd expect from a typical YouTuber and they're long. Yet I stayed with them much longer than I anticipated. Adams is a grown-up creator on a platform built for dabblers. His instincts are timeless. Do what you love, and the rest will follow. Take a Hike Vicariously with Adams today. Subscribe to Craig with a K, Adams, on YouTube. And to learn about the gear he uses to make his videos, visit his website at craigadams.com. Never 9 to 5 is a production of The Solo Project, LLC. This episode was produced by Patrick Mitchell. I'm Nicole Dyer. For more information, visit thesoloproject.com and follow us on social media at thesoloproject.